Book 15, Chapters 1 and 2 of the Antiquities of the Jews, Volume 3. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. That's L-I-B-R-I-V-O-X dot O-R-G. This is a recording by Paula Jane Winnick. The Antiquities of the Jews Volume 3 by Flavius Josephus Translated by William Whiston Book 15, Chapters 1 and 2 Book 15 Contained the interval of 18 years From the death of Antigonus To the finishing of the temple by Herod Chapter 1 Concerning Polio and Simaeus, Herod slays the principal of Antigonus's friends and spoils the city of its wealth. Antony beheads Antigonus. How Sosius and Herod took Jerusalem by force, and besides that, how they took Antigonus captive, has been related by us in the foregoing book. We will now proceed in the narration. And since Herod had now the government of all Judea put into his hands, he promoted such of the private men in the city as had been of his party, but never left off avenging and punishing every day those that had chosen to be of the party of his enemies. But Polio the Pharisee, and Simaeus a disciple of his, were honored by him above all the rest. For when Jerusalem was besieged, they advised the citizens to receive Herod, which advice they were well requited. But this polio, at the time when Herod was once upon his trial of life and death, foretold in way of reproach to Hyrcanus and the other judges, how this Herod, whom they suffered now to escape, would afterward inflict punishment on them all, which had its completion in time, while God fulfilled the words he had spoken. At this time Herod, now he had got Jerusalem under his power, carried off all the royal ornaments and spoiled the wealthy men of what they had gotten. And when by these means he had heaped together a great quantity of silver and gold, he gave it all to Antony and his friends that were about him. He also slew forty-five of the principal men of Tigonus's party and sent guards to the gates of the city that nothing might be carried out together with their dead bodies. They also searched the dead, and whatsoever was found, either of silver or gold, or other treasure, it was carried to the king. Nor was there any end of the miseries he brought upon them. And this distress was in part occasioned by the covetousness of the prince regent, who was still in want of more, and in part by the sabbatic year, which was still going on, and forced the country to lie still uncultivated since we are forbidden to sow our land in that year. Now when Antony had received Antigonus as his captive, he determined to keep him against his triumph. But when he heard that the nation grew seditious, and that out of their hatred to Herod, they continued to bear good will to Antigonus, he resolved to behead him at Antioch. For otherwise the Jews would no way be brought to be quiet. And Strabo of Cappadocia, attest to what I have said. 
when he thus speaks. Antony ordered Antigonus the Jew to be brought to Antioch, and there to be beheaded. And this Antony seems to me to have been the very first man who beheaded a king, as supposing he could no other way bend the binds of the Jews so as to receive Herod, whom he had made king in his stead. For by no torments could they be forced to call him king. So great a fondness they had for the former king. So they thought that this dishonorable death would diminish the value they had for Antigonus's memory, and at the same time would diminish the hatred they bear to Herod. Thus far Strabo. Chapter 2 How Hyrcanus was set at liberty by, by the Parthians, and returned to Herod, and what Alexandra did when she heard that Aeneas was made high priest. Now, after Herod was in possession of the kingdom, Hyrcanus, the high priest, who was then a captive among the Parthians, came to him and was set free from his captivity in the manner following. Barzarphanus and Pacorus, the generals of the Parthians, took Hyrcanus, who was first made high priest and afterward king, and Herod's brother, Thessalius, captives, and were then away in Parthus. Thessalius indeed could not bear the reproach of being in bonds, and thinking that death with glory was better than any life whatsoever, he became his own executioner, as I have formerly related. But when Hyrcanus was brought into Parthia, the king Phraates treated him after a very gentle manner, as having already learned of what an illustrious family he was, on which account he set him free from his bonds and gave him a habitation at Babylon, where there were Jews in great numbers. These Jews honored Hyrcanus as their high priest and king, as did all the Jewish nation that dwelt as far as Euphrates, which respect was very much to his satisfaction. But when he was informed that Herod had received the kingdom, new hopes came upon him, as having been himself still the kind disposition towards him, and expecting that Herod would bear in mind what favor he had received from him. And when he was upon his trial, and when he was in danger that a capital sentence would be pronounced against him, he delivered him from that danger and from all punishment. Accordingly, he talked of that matter with the Jew that came often to him with great affection. But they endeavored to retain him among them, and desired that he would stay with them, putting him in mind of the kind offices and honors they did him, that those honors they paid him were not at all inferior to what they could pay to either their high priests or their kings. What was a greater motive to determine him, they said, was this, that he could not have those dignities in Judea because of that maim in his body, which have been inflicted on him by Antigonus, and that kings do not use to requite men for those kindnesses which they receive when they were private persons the height of their fortune, making usually no small changes in them. Now, although they suggested these arguments to him for his own advantage, yet did Hyrcanus still desire to, to depart. Herod also wrote to him and persuaded him to desire Freitas and the Jews that were there, that they should not grudge him the royal authority, which he should have jointly with himself, for that now was the proper time for himself to make him amends for the favors he had received from him, 
as having been brought up by him, and saved by him also, as well as for Hyrcanus to receive it. As he wrote thus to Hyrcanus, so did he send all Theramalus, his ambassador, to Phraates, and many presents with him, and desired him in the most obliging way that he would be no hindrance to his gratitude towards his benefactor. But this zeal of Herod's did not flow from that principle, but because he had been made governor of that country without having any just claim to it. He was afraid that upon reasons good enough would change in his condition, and so made what haste he could to get Hyrcanus into his power, or indeed to put him quite out of the way, which last thing he compassed afterward. Accordingly, when Hyrcanus came full of assurance by the permission of the king of Parthia, and at the expense of the Jews, who supplied him with money, Herod received him with all possible respect, and gave him the upper place at public meetings, and set him above all the rest at feasts, and thereby deceived him. He called him his father, and endeavored by all the ways possible that he might have no suspicion of any treacherous design against him. He also did other things in order to secure his government, which yet occasioned a sedition in his own family. For being cautious how he made any illustrious person the high priest of God, he sent for an obscure priest out of Babylon, whose name was Anaelius, and bestowed the high priesthood upon him. However, Alexandra, the daughter of Hyrcanus, and wife of Alexander, the son of Aristobulus, the king, who had also brought Alexander two children, could not bear this indignity. Now this son was one of the greatest comeliness, and was also called Aristobulus, and the daughter of Mariamne was married to Herod, and eminent for her beauty also. This Alexandra was much disturbed, and took this indignity offered to her son exceedingly ill, that while he was alive, anyone else should be sent for to have the dignity of the high priesthood conferred upon him. Accordingly, she wrote to Cleopatra, a musician assisting her in taking care to have her letters carried, to desire her intercession with Antony, in order to gain the high priesthood for her son. But as Antony was slow in granting this request, his friend Delius came into Judea upon some affairs. When he saw Aristobulus, he stood in admiration at the tallness and handsomeness of the child, and no less at Mariani, the king's wife, who was open his commendations of Alexandra as the mother of most beautiful children. And when she came to discourse with him, persuaded her to get pictures drawn of them both, and send them to Antony, for that when he saw them, he would deny her nothing that she should ask. Accordingly, Alexander was elevated with these words of his and sent the pictures to Antony. Delius also talked extravagantly and said that these children seemed not derived from men, but from some god or other. His design in so doing was to entice Antony into lewd pleasures with them, who was ashamed to send for the damsel as being the wife of Herod, and avoided it because of the reproaches he should have in Cleopatra on that account. But he sent, in the most decent manner he could, for the young man. But added this withal, unless he thought it hard upon him so to do. When this letter was brought to Herod, he did not think it safe for him to send one so handsome as Aristobulus, in the prime of his life, for he was sixteen years of age, and of so noble a family, and particularly not to Antony, the principal man among the Romans, and one that would abuse him in his armors, and besides, one that openly indulged himself in such pleasures as his power allowed him without control. 
He therefore wrote back to him that if this boy should go out of the country, all would be in a state of war and uproar because the Jews were in hopes of a change in the government to have another king over them. When Herod had thus excused himself to Antony, he resolved that he would not entirely permit the child or Alexandra to be treated dishonorably. But his wife, Mariamne, lay vehemently at him to restore the high priesthood to her brother, and he judged it was for his advantage so to do, because if he once had that dignity, he could not go out of the country. So he called his friends together and told them that Alexander privately conspired against his royal authority, endeavored by the means of Cleopatra, instead of bringing it about, that he might be deprived of government, and that by Antony's means this youth might have a management of public affairs in his stead, and that this procedure of hers was unjust, since she would at the same time deprive her daughter of the dignity she now had, and would bring disturbances upon the kingdom, for which he had taken a great deal of pain, and had gotten it with extraordinary hazards, that yet, while he well remembered her wicked practices, would not leave off doing what was right himself, would even now give the youth the high priesthood, that he firmly set up Aeneas, because Aristobulus was then so very young a child. Now when he had said this, not at random, but as he thought with the best discretion he had, in order to deceive the women, and those friends whom he had taken to consult with all, Alexandra, out of the great joy she had at this unexpected promise, and out of the fear from the suspicion she lay under, fell a-weeping, and made the following apology for herself, and said that as to the high priesthood, she was very much concerned for the disgrace her son was under, and so did her utmost endeavors to procure it for him, but that as to the kingdom she had made no attempts, and that if it were offered her for her son, she would not accept it that now she would be satisfied with her son's dignity, while he himself held the civil government. And she had thereby the security that arose from his peculiar ability in governing to all the remainder of her family, that she was now overcome by his benefits, and thankfully accepted of this honor showed by him to her son, and that she would hereafter be entirely obedient, and she desired him to excuse her. If the nobility of her family and that freedom of acting, which she thought that allowed her, had made her act too precipitously and prudently in this matter. So when they had spoken thus to one another, they came to an agreement, and all suspicions, so far as appeared, were vanished away. End of Book 15, Chapters 1 and 2 Recording by Paula Winnig, Lawrence, New York